1: It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
0: Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code nation three zero for 30% off. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Moultrie Mobile. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. I'm in a very good mood this morning. I'm going to tell you why. Uh, (laughs) The sun is shining, number one. Number two. Uh, it is this, like, I can see the end of winter, like spring is coming and there's a whole bunch of fun things to do, uh, in the spring, but the kids here's, here's why I'm really happy. And I'm going to be brutally honest here for a second. Um, right now there is a guy out there who's listening to this episode and I would just like to see maybe who, who this happened to recently. You know, you wake up in the morning, uh, you know, your wife kind of rolls over and she kind of grabs your hand and, you know, one thing leads to another and, uh, you know, maybe she's like, Hey, can you rub my back for a second? I'm like, uh, huh, yeah, I'll rub your back, rub your back, you know, mm, you know, rubber back, rubber shoulders, you know, things seem like they're going in a very good direction and then kapow, the door opens and it's a four-year-old going, I want waffles and and, uh, so what I'm getting at is kids are cock blockers and so recently, uh, it's spring break this week and for the past three days, my kids have been at my mom's house and, uh, you know, no no cock blocking going on. And I am a new man. And and I don't understand like I don't think women understand how important that part of the relationship is. But man, I feel like I don't know. I feel like tap dancing. Like I feel like that guy. If you if you go and Google tap dancing, that's what I feel like today. Just some guy going. Bah, 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 bah. Like, <laughs> I'm in a great mood today. And it's it's mainly because of that straight up uh just being brutally honest here um and uh I don't know that's anyway I tell you what if you've ever been cock blocked by your own children send me a dm on instagram I would I would love to hear the stories because uh, and maybe this is inappropriate Uh, for a deer hunting podcast, but uh, it's also a reality check because this is a real life podcast as well. So uh, I hope everybody has had a good day today like I have, or at least a start to your day. I tell you what, and it doesn't even have to be about that. It's just when when you wake up in a good mood and you take that first sip of coffee and you're just like, God damn, today's gonna be a good day. Man, it just changes the outlook of everything. You can handle problems better. Um, you can, you know, you you just like you don't even listen to the negativity in the life. You just you just walk right by it. You tap dance right by it. So uh, <laughs> that's how I'm feeling today. I'm feeling good. And so we're gonna we're gonna transition that. We'll go into a hard pivot right now. We'll just go kabow. And now here we are. We're we're talking about today's episode. So I get this crazy message from this dude out of Indiana. And he's like, hey, just want to let you know, there's a lot of similarities between hunting deer and fishing for muskies. And I'm sitting here in my in my world, my, my whitetail world. And I'm like, dude, there's no similarities. Uh, a whitetail is an animal that breathes oxygen. It lives on land. It eats acorns uh, like corn, you know you know, a musky is an apex predator fish. it eats other fish uh, and so I don't get where this is going and so I you know we message back and forth. I'm like, okay, I'll give this guy a shot. But after listening to him talk about how he fishes for musky and how uh, I kind of deer hunt, it there are some similarities and I thought this would just be a, a great random episode in a time of year that, You know, we we talk about strategy, we talk about food plots and and things like that this time of year, Um, but I like to throw some curveballs in as well. So today we're going to be talking with Jake Baddock from Indiana, the dude I love to whitetail hunt. This dude loves to uh, fish for muskies. He is also a deer hunter, and I am also a fit. I'm not going to, like I say in the podcast, I'm not necessarily a fisherman, but I love to fish. So that is what we're going to be talking about today, the similarities between musky fishing and uh, and whitetail hunting. So, that's what today's episode is about. Man, I'm, I was fired up, but when I get fired up sometimes, I, I lose organization. So, I need to write something down on a piece of paper here, because uh, I got to do some commercials real quick before we get into today's episode. Today is the this will be the 16th. Okay. When this launches. So real quick. Um, I don't know how much I'm supposed to say on this, but Novex, uh, Novex tree stands, right? The, the former lone wolf, the rebrand, the, uh, the, the products that are, um, like they've been changed a little bit they've been rebranded a little bit and dude i just talked to one of the owners of the company and it sounds like they're going to be doing some crazy shit coming up and i i might be a part of that so i am looking to be i'm looking forward to the new product line that these guys have coming out so tree stands being mobile there are some things coming out that the owner told me that uh, could change the game. And when a company says that, you know, we've heard that before, it could change the game, whatever. Uh, But he, just the way he said it, you, you're like, Hey man, I believe you. (laughs) I believe you. So uh, who knows what, uh, what's coming. He couldn't get into detail with me. Um, (laughs) I'm going to have to sign an NDA actually here in the next couple months. But when that, when that happens, And I'm going to get him on the show, and then we can start to talk a little bit about uh, what you know what's going to be coming from Novex, Uh, what's next, Vortex Optics, man. I'm heading up there in April. On April 8th, I'm going to be doing a lot of recording uh, episodes, talking about new products. So look for that on the Hunting Gear Podcast. Again, uh, great, great group of people. If you are seriously looking for quality optics. And this is going to sound like a, a commercial, but that's what it is, right? I promote their products. Look no further than Vortex. They literally have everything you need at, at a variety of price points. And their VIP warranty, where if you get, uh, you know, if you get damaged, if your products get damaged, they fix them for free and send them back to you. And there's like, I wish someone would fix my car for free and send it back to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. And so that's how they that's how they get lifelong customers that's why their brand has a reputation for being one of the best optics on the market and uh, the best customer service and uh, they listen to their customers man that's how they do it so vortexoptics.com exodus trail cameras uh, please take some time and go read up on what makes exodus awesome my favorite thing about exodus trail cameras is that they work right and then they have a variety of cameras, right? They have the Trek, the lift and the render. And so there's a variety of price points there for their their cameras. And when I go and set their cameras up in the woods, I feel confident that they're going to, they're going to either send me pictures via uh, the cell cam, or when I go to check them that they've worked. So hopefully if I get all my chores done today and I get all my work done today, I'm going to head out into the woods. I'm going to go check a couple cameras that have been sitting there for a very long time and I'm excited to see what uh what they've what they have to say and then after that man uh you know put them back out and let them soak and so I might just actually leave them in I might just check the and I don't know what I'm going to do yet but exodusoutdoorgear.com take a look awesome cameras and then the next thing is it's that time of year where I'm really looking forward to spending time with my kids it's going to warm up I want to get them outside. I want to introduce them to the hunting slash archery. And I feel like one of the best ways to do that is two reasons, two ways. I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy them a little kid's bow, right? Something that they can fling arrows in the backyard. And number two is a crossbow. And I'm going to get them trained up on that because I honestly feel like a crossbow has a, a a shorter learning curve and it gives the, kids the ability to hunt sooner um, outside of a firearm because my daughter's she's she's still kind of little for her age Um, I I have I I bet you if I handed her a 12 gauge she'd try it but we all know that that's too big so I'm gonna get a crossbow and it's gonna be in uh, an Excalibur crossbow something that's Uh, user-friendly for my wife my kids and potentially even me you know in the backyard just having some fun and it's just a foot in the door to spending more time outdoors so if you want to go take a look at uh, all of the the crossbows that excalibur offers visit excaliburcrossbow.com that's the commercials huge shout out to jake for taking time out of his day today really appreciate your time man awesome conversation hope you guys enjoy Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Jake Baddock. Jake, how we doing, man?
1: Oh, I'm doing really good. How you doing, Dan?
0: Doing good, man. Uh, And before we even talk about what the topic is going to be today, you seem to be the guy who's excited for the ice to get off the water.
1: Yeah, I would say that's an understatement.
0: (laughs) Um. So before we before we get into the the topic though, why don't you tell us where you live and what do you do for a living?
1: Okay, so I live in Brownsburg, Indiana, and that is just west of Indianapolis. So I'm like almost right in the uh, smack dab middle of Indiana. Okay, and um, currently, right now, I work for my dad, and uh, we have a family business. We make promotional buttons for like restaurants or campaigns and all different types of advertising. yeah. So it kind of gives me some flexibility to build it, you know, either hunt more or work different hours so I can get out in the stand or uh, work extra some weeks so then I can go fishing or go up to Minnesota or something during the summer. Yeah. So uh, pretty fortunate there. Yeah. So
0: this is crazy, right? I never thought that running a podcast, let alone a podcast network, could allow me enough uh, financial freedom to, you know, not have a quote-unquote real job, right? This this pays my bills. And, and so what's crazy is, like, how many buttons do you guys sell in a given year that allows your dad and you to make a living?
1: Oh, man. Um, that's a really good question. We just – so I would say we got to be making over – like around a hundred thousand or more a month. So it's, um, and yeah. And it seems like a big number, but when you like, it doesn't. So when we're running on our machines, you can run anywhere from 600 an hour to a thousand buttons an hour. Okay. So it, yeah, it's a pretty fast work. I mean, the number is not like, I don't building even a bow or a gun or something. It's not that time consuming. Yeah. So it's just, uh, but, I mean, we work our tails off, and that's uh, – we try to keep it in the family and yeah. uh, just, you know, it uh, – yeah. So, I don't know. It's uh, been kind of crazy. You know, you wouldn't think that just something simple like a little button on somebody's shirt you could yeah. just make a living off of. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, bizarre, really.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it – you think about it, and everything, you know, from – Everything makes money, you know, just like a little plastic part here uh, that maybe one guy builds for, you know, like one company. The only thing they specialize in is one little part that maybe goes to a car or a computer or something like that. And you guys are doing, you know, doing something, you know, for me, I I think a campaign button would be something that would be passed out in the 70s. Or, you know, like it, maybe even mm-hmm. the, the 80s before all the digital world crept in. But they're still doing it and people are still making money off of it. So that's that's awesome. Plus, it's, uh, you know, it's all American.
1: Right, yep, yep. And everything here, we use American steel and everything. So it's, um, and then we get a lot of questions because like from customers, hey, is this made in the U.S. today? And um, because a lot of that type of products will be imported from China. yeah, And uh, we are one of, I don't know how many, um, are left in the United States. I know COVID did a pretty big toll on our industry just because it is the meat, you know, you have to have meetups for people to get together and pass out these buttons. I mean, yeah. if there's no, going on, yeah. people really uh, don't need them. I mean, we still, we were able to limp through it fine. And, uh, we were very thankful that we did pull through, yeah. but, um, yeah, so. Yes. Yeah, uh, you know, like you said, that it's crazy. You can make a living off that, but that's the beauty of capitalism and living in this country though. So. Yeah,
0: that's a fact, man. That's amazing. Um, so man, I kind of want, I kind of just want to sit here and talk about buttons like for, for a while. <laughs> do you, uh, let, me, let me ask you, so do you, during campaign season, do you get um, orders from both sides of the party both sides of the aisle like there's one guy in indiana running against another guy and you're getting both their business
1: yeah yeah and it won't it's so we must definitely do both sides yeah um and i wouldn't it's weird because we do we're countrywide so it's um more just like i would say the presidential elections are the big thing and so like every four years we expect you know a busy year so it's um and i mean I wouldn't even say like the midterms or anything. That doesn't, you get some, but it's really those big presidential stuff. And then uh, just some um, organizations that are constantly trying to promote, you know, um, just what they're trying to get out there as far as if it's politics or whatnot. And then yeah. um, we just, we get, it's weird, you know, it's like, because I can't say there's like some big names to drop that people would know. It's just, it comes in from so many different sources. Yeah. Just either people wanting some football buttons, you know, high school football team wanting their picture on it for the parents to wear in the stands Yep. or just, you know, it goes all the way. We had a huge Jimmy John's order, um, back in probably like 10 years ago. Now that was just, it, it took up like a whole month of us work. We were like, working 80 hours a week or something like that so because they just want it fast and yeah. uh, that's what we specialize
0: in is customer service that's awesome man congratulations and it allows you the freedom uh i don't know about your dad but you it allows you the freedom to get hunt and fish
1: yep yep 100 percent. awesome so man. that's in so and he did just so like a couple weeks ago a guy just bought us out so we're all still working there so hopefully my dad does get some freedom from that yeah and uh, just you know the stress of a business owner it's not easy everybody you know thinks it's uh rainbows and unicorns you know but i That's mean there's a, a lot of stress on the back end nobody knows about yeah and
0: i'm dealing i'm dealing with some of that stress right now for uh, a couple of my businesses so i i feel i feel you on that all right mm-hmm. so you hit me up through Instagram and you're like, Dan, uh, and this is the abbreviated ver- version of, of this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, message you sent me, but you're a, you are a fisherman specifically love targeting muskies. And you told me that Dan, there's a lot of similarities, uh, for hunting whitetails and hunting muskies. So, just the very first question I, I have for you is, what is your experience? Like, how, how long have you just been caught up in, in musky fishing?
1: So, I would say uh, musky fishing. I mean, it goes back to when I was 10 years old or maybe even a little younger. We, my dad brought us up to Minnesota for the first time when I was like six, and we fished for Northern Pike. And uh so that's it's a very similar species to muskies, just northerns are a lot more aggressive, easier to catch. And um I think it was my brother, he'd been doing some research, he's like, Dad, we really need to go to Eagle Lake in Ontario, Canada and fish for Muskie. So we went up there and the Muskies the fish of ten thousand casts. It's supposed yep. to be a lifetime goal to catch one of these fish and um so we both, me, my dad, and my brother all got our first musking that week that we went up there, the first time we ever targeted them. Um, we hired a guide, so he kind of pointed us in the right direction. And uh, honestly, a lot of it was probably just dumb luck looking back at it now. But, hey, sometimes it's better to be lucky than talented. So yeah. uh, You know, and it so there was a gap there because I – always loved to fish, but there was just growing up periods where I fished more. And then, I mean, I got into dirt bikes, BMX, and different stuff. And then hunting came in. And then um, when I graduated college, that's when uh, it's like I'm making adult money and I'm single. Let's uh, go do what I really want to do. And so we, my brother and I bought a boat together and started going up to Minnesota. And so that was six, a little over six years now. So that's um, and that's when it really, I guess, we caught the bug per se. Yeah. And uh, we've been hitting it hard ever since then. Yeah.
0: All right. So, like, I got to try to bridge this gap here because when someone says musky fishing, and like you you say musky fishing, and I'm over here going whitetail hunting, like I from where I'm standing, I don't see any connection at all. One is a fish; it lives underwater one is a animal it lives on the ground or it lives on land so when mm-hmm. when you reached out to me and said hey dan you know there are some similarities what are we talking about as far as the similar like the dif- the differences are obvious but what are the similarities when it comes to a, you know when you're approaching how to catch a muskie versus how to shoot a deer
1: okay so it this is all right, so I got a list about it, and that's what it's funny because sitting up in the tree stand this year, I was texting um, my buddy Brad Hoppy about it, and it's just like, holy crap, just the way okay, – so they use how, like, hunters use food to know where the deer are going to be moving in certain periods of the year. That plays into effect of where you're fishing in the lake in certain points of the year for musky. Um, and then the way that they use structure, so – And we can go into finer detail and everything. This is just kind of like an overview. Yeah. But the way that they use structure, the way that they both use wind. So, but when on, you know, hunting is just straight wind, I'm talking, so the wind provides current and a lake. Yeah. And so that's what, um, that will set up the muskies. Um, then, so the way I know moon is a very debatable topic. As far as if it even influences, I mean, even in the muskie community, I mean, there's some diehard people that moon is everything, um, but it doesn't always work out. I mean, there's never, uh, you know, a secret answer to anything. That's what, that's another similarity. There is no mastering muskie fishing. As soon as you think, hey, I know how to do this well, the musky's going to go right out there and kick you in the teeth next time. Yeah. Same thing with a whitetail. I mean, if you think, oh, I can never screw up, I got this all perfect, I mean, they'll make you look like a fool. That's so right. So it's just, I mean, and the funny thing is musky fishing, a lot of people call it muskie hunting. So, I mean, just in that thing, because it's not, it's not a fish that you go out and you're like, I'm going to catch a muskie today. It's like, I'm going to do everything I can to hopefully encounter one of these things and then get it to bite. Um, so it's the, you know, going out to the woods, you don't, you don't know if you're going to shoot a deer that day, but you know, it's takes time. It takes lots of hours, takes dedication, takes art to the craft. And that's everything that, I mean, muskies, the same thing. If you're just, you know, you're going to go out there one day and you've never even researched anything. Like I'm just going to go catch a muskie today. Well, chances are that it's going to be a pretty tough day for you same thing as somebody that just went and bought a bow or a gun last week like hey i'm gonna go try whitetail hunting there's a good chance that they're gonna have a tough day but then you know there's also those people that go out for the first time and catch a 50 inch muskie which is a trophy muskie and then there's the same people that hunt for the first time and shoot a 170 inch buck so i mean that's it's uh kind of yeah just the similarities the more i've been thinking about it's like man you can really go down some rabbit holes and yeah. it's just but so you tell me where you kind of want to start yeah. with let's like, go
0: down some of these rabbit holes man because I I love I love this because on, honestly a goal of mine right is someday to catch uh, and I don't just mean like a a, a muskie like I want to catch one of those muskies that takes two hands to hold and it sags in the middle you know one of those like big Fat mm-hmm. Muskies. Um, oh. I would love to to catch that someday. And I, I I feel like if I was a fisherman, like I I I fish, but I'm not a fisherman. I feel like if I was a fisherman, that would be the type of fish that I would be uh attacking. Like not necessarily trying to find the most a fish that's gonna give me the most number of bites in a day or the most catches in a day or the quality, you know, quantity, but just a predator like, uh, like a muskie. So the, one of the first things you one hundred percent, yeah. Yeah. So one of the first things that you mentioned was, uh, was, was structure, right? Or was there something before mm-hmm. that?
1: I, no, well, I mean, we can start off with structure. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Structure for it. But I mean, Okay. So structure. So, um, let's just talk, do the deer side first. Yeah. Um, you're, so you have your different times of the year that you hunt in different locations, right? Right. So like if the acorns are falling, you're going to be by those oaks or if the field um, just got cropped out, you're going to maybe sit that field edge or the transit or the staging area leading into it. So it's, um, food drives movement with deer. And the same thing with muskies. But so going back to the structure. um, So you're going to say you just have a block of woods and you, you have a big ridge going through it. Well, you're going to, um, so on that ridge, so let's relate that to a point coming off an Island or something like that in the lake. Yeah. So you have the same thing. It comes way out and then it will have a tip of a point and then it comes back. Well, on that point, you'll have saddles or you could have a saddle or you could not, but same thing with a ridge, you know, you can have a saddle in there or whatnot. And uh, so just the way that the muskies will position themselves and deer. So deer, you know, a good spot is to hunt the saddle of that ridge because that's going to hopefully funnel down movement. Well, if you're fishing a point and there's a saddle on it, there's a good chance that a muskies going to be sitting in that saddle. And then you have the way, like even – so a deer, if there's a little bench off the point, you know, that lets them look out and the wind's blowing over their back, well, you, if you have a specific boulder or what people call the G-spot on it, there will be a muskie that always stakes out right there. I mean, you can go back certain days and, I mean, bait will drive them off certain structure and whatnot. And there are certain days the deer won't be using those ridges. And um, so it's just the way that you break down the ridge, like I kind of think of it as break lines on the lake. So, you have deer that walk that two thirds edge of that ridge. Well, muskies will be swimming around the break line. So, if you're fishing 30 feet of water and say um, this reef or in a reef is a rock pile out in the middle of a lake, comes up to 10 feet, well, these muskies, they can either be on top where there could be a saddle in there or some rocks on top, or they'll be cruising around the edges of that reef on the break line um same thing as you know a deer will use a ridge and work on the break line to its advantage so and then with that the way they use structure so a deer is using the wind um uh, to put the odds in its favor to know what's going on uh, so say you know you have uh east facing ridge and uh a west wind right so it's hitting right into that ridge well that uh deer will you know it put itself in a point where, you know, hey, my back's covered here. I know what's, you know, I can smell what's coming over my back and I can see a long way this way, right? So yeah. you have a musky where that, the only difference is, so you would say a buck would tend to sit on the backside of that ridge where the wind's blowing over the whole ridge and it's looking out, right? So then with a musky, the difference is, is that they'll actually use the wind and they'll put their nose into the current and wait for bait fish to fu- or to get blown in by the current. Yeah. So it's they both always not always because I've seen deer you know walking with the wind at their back, especially during rut because things get crazy. Yep. But it's just the way that they set themselves up on structure. They're both using ridges or what I'd like to call a point and and the you know the lake and then say a reef would be kind of like a high spot and you know a, kind I guess like a not quite a ridge you know what i'm talking about it's like um i'm trying to describe our property we kind of have like a big ridge that goes down to a draw that goes up into almost like an island but it's not surrounded by water so it's like a hump out there yeah and that would be kind of the same thing as like a reef you know you're always that structure so you're not gonna just want to hunt for deer out i mean you can but like say you have 50 acres of just flat timber it's going to be pretty tough. I mean, you use that structure in the woods yeah, um, or the contours to know where the deer are going to be moving. Yeah. If that makes sense. I, yeah, I hope I didn't just throw a bunch of mumble-jumble at you.
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to translate it as well. So it sounds to me like terrain, like we hunt terrain, you guys are hunting terrain. Um, and then if yep. there is structure on, on that terrain, then that's just one more uh, and structure then creates edge on, on certain places and whitetail are an edge creature, right? They love to work the edges between thick and vegetation or open timber or, you know, or CRP or open timber or wherever. Um, so if you're, if you, if you can find a good terrain feature, uh, like a Ridge or a reef or, um, and then structure on top of that, like a down tree or a pile of rocks or something that creates an edge, that musky tend to hang out in those locations, just like deer tend to hang out in those locations.
1: Yeah, and edges are like everything in muskie fishing. So you're talking about light edges, so as far as the light penetrates down into the water, talk weed edges, um, and then... I know transition areas are big for deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the same thing. So, if you have sand to muck transition in a lake, um, you can almost, especially out in open water, you can be over forty feet of water. But the lake goes from sand to muck. There'll be a muskie. He might only be three feet down, but he's sitting almost directly over that transition. And why? So it, why uh, is he sitting there? That is a very good question. And it's one of those things that's like so with the open water thing and that is a bait fish driven bite now there's always kind of a low population i believe that use open water um so during in minnesota where we exploit that uh, open water bite is all driven by the mayfly hatch and the mayfly is generally hatch out of the mud so i don't i think it's just kind of the muskie sitting there on the sand and mud waiting for the cisco's to come in and start eating those mayflies, and so all these muskies are staged up in certain areas. Now you have to find where the best mayfly hatches are on the lake, and um, and know that there's Cisco's there. Now, it, when you're fishing it, it's easy because either your graph will be filled up or there's Cisco's popping all on the surface around you. Yeah. So and then you know there's going to be where there's food, there's generally a predator when it comes to fishing. Yeah. So it's just, and that's the same thing with deer hunting. If there's food there, there's more than likely a chance that you know you're going to see something move through there.
0: Yeah. All right. So the only real fishing experience I have is you know pond fishing, some lake fishing, and and the Mississippi River. All right. So mm-hmm. um, there's there's certain times of the of the year where bass, whether it's largemouth or smallmouth or even walleye are just stacked on top of each other. And you run into one of these scenarios where it's like every single cast, you're catching a fish. I'm sure if you're a fisherman, you've run into a scenario like this. Yep. Is, is that the same way with muskie? Are they um, territorial? Um, do they stack up like in, in schools or are they kind of lone rangers?
1: So they are, I would say, a pack fish. They're not quite a school. So, like when you pull up to a reef in Minnesota, there can be now dep- it, a lot of it depends on population too. So, these are fish that have very hard time reproducing. Just I think it's Mother Nature's way of keeping the system in check. Like, I'm not going to let this apex predator build a reproduce and ruin the lake. Um, so, you I would say now because Minnesota, their stocking program, they're all a lot of these fish and muskie. Really, in the United States, I would say 90% of them, I could be off, but majority of them are stocked fisheries, okay. so they're not even reproducing there because they're such a fragile um, fish. It's weird. They are broadcast spawners, so whenever they spawn, they just drop their eggs, and a male swims around fertilizing them with them, and so if you don't have a sand bottom or the perfect content, um, those eggs just get covered up by silt, so, but... With that being said, when you sit, they pack up the most would be during the spawn. Now in Minnesota and stuff like that, they were hoping that there would be a good amount of natural reproduction. The DNR um, here in Indiana, there we know there's not. I mean, and so Minnesota, there's a closed season on them. I believe it's December 1st through it's either the second weekend of June or the I think it's the second weekend of June, but it kind of varies. in Wisconsin's a little bit different. New York's different and stuff, but we get to fish that spawn here because there is no natural reproduction DNR looked at as a put and take fishery. So you the whole thing is is when you catch a muskie and spawn and you pick it up out of the water, it's gonna be spewing eggs all over your boat. Well you don't want that if you want the resource to continue reproducing. Yeah. So here we know it's not the case. So therefore we get to fish spawn in Indiana and or pre spawn. Well that is the point where you will see just an insane amount of fish stacked up in like a cove or a spawning bay um, or, you know, a flat. uh, And they're all there just the males pulling first, waiting for the big females to come out. And this is another connection that, well, when do you usually have the best time to encounter the most mature buck in your woods? Usually during rut because he's going to be stupid or the beginning of it. Well, that same thing goes with being able to catch the biggest female in the lake because female muskies are the ones that get big i mean you can have a male get here really i would say the average male is probably around 36 to 40 inches where our females can get up to 50 inches yeah now in minnesota you got average of like 44 inch males but then you get females that can push that 58 inch mark yeah so um but during the spawn here because that fish has to come in and go through the motion she is going to slide up and go like stage herself before the spawn on break lines that are adjacent to the spawny uh, cove or whatnot. And that is when you have access to maybe catching the biggest fish you could potentially catch. And they're the fattest because they haven't dropped their eggs yet and it's still cold water.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to that time of year, you know, like for whitetails, the rut means aggression right they're they're territorial over their their area their core area and they're also territorial over the females once they start to to breed do muskies have kind of like a hierarchy or is it just like the bigger fish gets to spawn with a female or is there like chaos and fighting and anything like that that you know Uh, of
1: there's chaos you'll uh i don't have any good pictures of it but i mean you'll see fish that's like how is that fish swimming because they have razor sharp teeth and i mean they'll you'll be able to see their intestines from them biting each other oh no shame. and it's mostly the males sparring with other males to go get that female yeah so it's um, now when it comes to catching them spawn pre-spawn spawn and post-spawn can be some of the toughest time because these fish just want to spawn they don't want anything to do with lures yeah i mean i've seen a video of a guy putting his rod tip down because you See the muskie sitting there in two feet of water, and actually put it underneath its belly and bring it up to the surface. Yeah. So it was almost in like a trance yeah. type deal. So that is the dif- differentiation there between deer and the and muskie is that you know it might make it easier to kill that big buck in rut, and where you still have the same access of that same potential. Like if you take a huge muskie to a big buck, it's going to give you a shot. You know she's going to be pulling in more than likely. But it could be tougher to get her to bite, yeah, so and that's but then when you get to the territorial side of things, I mean one, the males will spar, and then in the summer, once they start going out like and getting to their summer peak spots, they will like back in the day in the heyday in Minnesota, if you had a specific boulder on a reef, you could see this fish follow in your bait, and if it didn't eat, it would turn around and go right back to that rock. So, I mean, they do get territorial as in that, um, you know, point of view of it. Yeah. So are musky the
0: type of fish where if you catch one, if you catch one in one spot, like I have, I have a, I have tree stands set up and I can run into deer almost every time that I go hunt these stands. Not necessarily a mature buck that I'm looking for but just from a, um, a habitat standpoint, deer love these areas, so I have tree stands in them. Is that the same thing with muskies? Like, are, are you able to go back to a rock every summer or every spring, fall, whenever you're fishing for them, and say, hey, man, I've caught a muskie here seven years in a row? 100%. Yeah.
1: 100%. It's, um, and even it can be – so the one thing that I will say – so hunters are meat eaters, right? Right. This is the biggest thing with the gap between muskie and whitetail is that I would say 99.9% of these fish caught are released. And that is because there's such, there's a drive to get them bigger. Yeah. And I guess I've been trying to think in my head, what would be the best way to explain this to a hunter? Cause, um, well, one in Minnesota, 54 inch is the legal size limit. So you can't even take, and a 54-inch fish is a gigantic fish.
0: So they have and a slot. So
1: you're, there's no slot. It's 54 or above. And so. So you can only talking, keep
0: one that's 54 inches or bigger?
1: In Minnesota. Okay. And that's to uh, get people to stop taking them out of the lakes. Yeah. And uh, hopefully grow them bigger. Yeah. So, and this is the, in my head, the best way to explain this to a hunter that that could turn them off. Because, you know, walleye fishing, you you fish, a lot of people fish to eat. And uh, with this, so, you know, talking to my brother, it's like, okay, how do I explain? That? And it's like, so, um, say, okay, let's just go with your wide um, buck that you shot this year, your Iowa buck. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: are you at all interested to know what he potentially could have been next year?
0: Oh, yeah. You, you, everybody thinks about that. Okay
1: right so that is the beauty about musky fishing you release this fish and there's i mean i've there's a 44 incher we have caught two years in a row and we've caught her three different times in all different areas and we're watching her grow up it's in the same area of the lake so you're seeing her move around but since we released that fish we've had two more in, uh, experiences with her and then getting to see her swim away well, then you go to Minnesota. I know this one. She was 55, I think, the first time that I know that she was caught, and then she's been caught as a 56. She was caught, and then she is um, getting scoliosis. And so you can, she has a humpback now. And my buddy just caught her again this year for the third time, and she measured shorter because she's such a humpback. Like, you can't, flat, you can't get this fish to be straight. And so that's a 56-inch. Fish now, so there's three guys that I know of that have caught this fish, and that's a fish of a lifetime. So that's like being able to say, "Hey, I shot this one eighty inch deer last year, but so did Jeff, and so did (laughs) you know my other buddy." You see what? Yeah. So that's what the beautiful thing is about it. Yeah, you don't get to fill your belly with it at the end of the day, but you get to. You know, I have. I don't know if I'm getting soft with musky fishing, but there is something cool about getting them to see them swim away and then uh, re-encounter them, and they'll be back. So she's been caught out of the same weed bed three years, and that's five, or three times, and that's five years apart. So she keeps revisiting the same area at certain times of the year. Same thing as like a buck has its uh, summer home patterns, or rutting yeah. area. Right, so they will move throughout the year. And then talking about that packing up, turnover Um, so when the lakes get to roughly 55 degrees so you'll have your temperature layers in the lake and then once the cooler water in the fall is um, colder on top than what is on bottom they flip and mix well right before that's happening you'll get a bunch of fish pushed out of the open water because they know that's coming and they all stack in weed beds or rock piles and stuff like that but we've had really good success in the weeds because weeds provide oxygen. The fish are there. And I mean, you'll go through a weed bed and this is where I was trying to think how you can relate rubs and scrapes um, to certain things that let you know there's a fish there. Um, and so we have what's called mega site imaging by Humminbird. I don't know if you've ever heard of this or seen it, but it's basically giving you a picture of the bottom of the lake from about a hundred feet out to
0: your boat. Yeah. My father-in-law so has that. you can that.
1: see, Right. So you can see where the weed edge starts. If it curls in, um, you can see sand to muck transitions. Well, when you're fishing a weed edge, these fish will follow in. And then they will charge at your bait, and you actually draw a figure eight in the water. So you're drawing an eight with your rod. And they will follow it around. It's kind of like cat and mouse. You use speed and um, big turns and elevation changes. So you'll go down, then back up in the corners. And they'll spool the musky up almost like a cat, you know, like playing with a mouse or a cat. If you go by slow, it might not do anything. But if you rip it by and get a reaction strike, that's um, what gets a fish to eat. And that's what speed is used for, for musky. Huh. But um, so, yeah, there's a bunch of little similarities in there. But um, so is the best imaging? I would say. Go ahead.
0: Uh, when is the best time of the year? to go out and catch muskie. So you had to pick summer or, well, out of, out of the three, spring, summer, or fall, when would you ra- rather go?
1: Um, I would say if you're just trying to catch a muskie summer peak. So you're talking in Minnesota, that's around the second week of July um, to maybe the first week of August.
0: And why now, is that significant? I
1: would, so they are um, kind of like – I like to think like a reptile. So the warmer the water gets, their metabolism speeds up, which therefore they have to eat more. And so that they're like, so I think in the fall or in the cold months, it's like they might eat once every two to three days where they're eating three times a day during the summer. So that much more activity just gives you better odds of catching them. Now, if you're trying to get that big fat one, well, when their metabolism slows is when they put on that big old fat feed bag. Now, you can still catch some fat ones in the summertime, but if you catch a fat one in the summertime, she's going to be a lot fatter in the fall. So, but I would say, you know, in Minnesota, you want to go mid July or even, you know, first week of July till, you know, mid September is my favorite time to fish. And then here in Indiana, uh, it's spring, quote unquote, but mid April through the beginning of May uh, or the end of May. And another thing with these fish they're super uh, fragile to warm water so if you have 80 degree surface temperatures you'll actually uh, or above we shut down fishing so you can actually since they're a cold water fish because they're supposed to be in Canada um, if you catch a fish usually they get deeper as the water gets warmer too so that plays into it but they will actually stress out and die on you so it's um, yeah they're real it's crazy such an apex predator can be so fragile it, um, but you know you do your things here Where we're just like we'll lay off them that's when in indiana we usually start you know our season here is getting too warm well that's when minnesota is opening up so we start going to minnesota and then once it gets too cold up there we can come back down here and fish i mean that goes the same thing with hunters you know going to ohio or iowa or nebraska you know so it's, uh, you can travel for them and kind of extend your season, I guess. Yeah. So two questions.
0: What's the biggest muskie you've ever caught? Me
1: right now is a 48 and a half.
0: And, um, where's that, that lie? Last... Where's that lie on like big, biggest, gigantic scale.
1: So that is, if you talk to some, then that goes, okay. <laughs> With Pennsylvania, you know, uh, not the same, I mean, you can still get a booner out there, yeah. but it's not like Iowa. You know, like you get smaller uh, bucks generally. So, in Indiana, a 48-and-a-half-inch fish is a giant. I mean, you're talking 50-inch is that upper escalon of fish. Yeah. Now, in Minnesota, a 48-and-a-half is, some of the guys up there will say that's a good fish. It's a big fish. It's not a huge fish, and it's not a giant. When you're talking giant, those guys, is like 54 and above. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then what's the most, uh, what's the highest number, the quantity, highest quantity you've caught in a single day?
1: So that would have to be here in Indiana. And I have, there's been a two or three times and that's with me and my brother in the boat. We've got 10 fish and 11 fish. So just over double digits.
0: And that's, and that is, you knew, you knew where they were at. How many casts or how many hours of that day did it take you to catch those eight fish or those 11 fish?
1: Um, so probably 12 to 14 hours.
0: That's a lot of casts in a day, man.
1: Yeah. Oh, it'll tear you up. I mean, you have to, same thing as walking seven miles deep, right? You got to be conditioned for it Yeah. and you have to have the mentality that not give up and, uh, have faith in your skills and no, and just believing in yourself and it's weird how much that makes a difference even in whitetail hunting if you don't think you're going to have a good day you're probably not yeah same thing with musky fishing if you go out there thinking oh this is going to be a crap day well it's probably going to be a crap day so it's weird how positive attitude really affects it but that's it's not something for i guess the faint of heart um so it's just but that's what i love about it is that and the same thing with you know chasing whitetail it's like there is no um no figuring it out to 100 percent. and i mean you can you have things you you know and you've learned over time to stack the odds in your favor so somebody that's hunting 10 years you know is a heck of a lot better than work they were in year two well that's the same thing in musky fishing now you can hit the jackpot you know the first year you can get lucky and like i said before it's better to be lucky sometimes than talented but you know that plays into it
0: yeah all right so you can give me a bow from 10 years ago i can practice with it and i can go shoot a deer right so mm-hmm. when it comes to white tails obviously location is location of number one where a deer is at where a big deer is at um it's very important and then the the gear afterwards is isn't really that important right you have to be good with your equipment but my gut tells me that gear is a little bit more important for musky fishing
1: yeah it is a hundred percent and it's not your boat you know and it's not even you take away your electronics um i would say that it's all in your rod and reel and that's i mean so gear 10 years ago in the musky world i mean that's before my time but i mean you have So my reels now bring in roughly 33 to 36 inches of line per one revolution of the crank. So that's, I mean, you're moving it. The whole thing is to build a reel that bait in faster when it comes to bucktails, which is the inline spinner. But, and then uh, rods have came a long way from just, you know, bulking down on weight. But they were like the main musky rod was a six foot um, extra, extra heavy. So they joke and call it a pull cue. And now we're fishing with 10 foot long rods, And that is to make casting easier because you have a bigger lever to throw that lure out there. And, um, you are able to, so if you have an extra heavy stiffness rod, which has a lot of backbone and down by your hand, but since it's 10 foot long, it has a pretty good tip on it. So you're able to still cast the lures out there. And then when it comes to your figure eights, the bigger rod, um, you know, allows you to do a bigger figure eight, and I wish I had a video for people because it's so hard to explain exactly what a figure eight is, just off words, rather than just showing somebody. Yeah. But um, so it's just, but yeah, gear is a hundred percent. Like I would say, it's a lot more important in the musky side of things rather than whitetail hunting. Like you said, I mean, you can still go out there and get her done. With the uh, the old stuff, but when you're fishing 14 hours, man, you're you're gonna be feeling it as far as your back or your elbow or your hands or um, something your shoulder from casting. It's just everything they've done is is almost like to make it so you can be out on the water longer. Yeah, and too, these fish, just the size lures that you're using, uh, they destroy reels, and they so it's just because of the amount of torque that's putting on them as you're reeling in. So they've really beefed things up just to, it helps you crank them in too, but then your equipment lasts longer. So if you go ahead, like, I'm about saving money, but when it comes to musky fishing, one, it's, but it's one of those things where if you hook a fish of a lifetime, you don't want your equipment to fail you. And that's the same thing with hunting. You don't want your know, buck of a lifetime to walk out and your equipment fail you. Yeah. So it's just, um. You know that yeah equipment is a big big thing now people will be like you need a fancy boat that's not true i mean does it help yeah i mean and it only helps when you're in three foot waves out on the lake just for boat control staying safe and stuff like that but you can i mean people catch them out of kayaks people catch them from the bank people you know so it's not like you have to have a nice fancy boat or you can fish out of a 16 foot john boat and do this it's not one of those things that if if I were giving advice to anybody, I'd be like, put your money in the reels and rod and then go from there.
0: Yeah. So what about, uh, what about size of bait? (laughs) Like I've seen some of these lures that look like a forearm and people are throwing them. And then sometimes, you know, just like a regular crankbait. What type, what types of baits are you throwing, uh, for, for these muskies?
1: So I, um, I've always been, even when it came to bass fishing, I was a blade guy as far as spinner baits or whatnot. Uh, so, right now, or really ever since I started muskie fishing, uh, Muskie Mayhem's actually the brand, but they're a uh, line of bucktails. And they were the first ones. So, you know how a lot of lures back in the day were made with deer hair or marabou or whatnot? They were the first ones to put flashaboo on the back of these bucktails and so you have the blade spinning in the front and the vortex from that makes the splash boot go all crazy in the back and it's all i mean they look like christmas tree ornaments yeah so it's but then like you're saying i mean um i wish i had a good scale to like say how long they are but as big as a hand very, right oh uh, quite a bit bigger some of them are quite a bit bigger so you get yeah. I think uh, their new bait is 13 inches long. They just came out with this year. 13 Um, inches? Yeah. And so you're talking, I mean, uh, one of the most popular baits is a pounder bulldog. And the reason it's called a pounder is because it actually weighs a pound. (laughs) Now you're talking, those might, I'm I'm looking at one on the wall trying to think. It's like 14 to 16 inches long. Then they got their big one on top of that. That's called a two pounder or they just made an ultra it's called an ultra dog this year but it's one and a half pound and um so throwing that you're talking
0: all day long you know you you throw a couple casts from it you probably won't feel it but you throw that thing all day long i just assume number one throwing a heavy weight is bad on your equipment and number two that repetitive motion on your body would probably make you sore somewhere
1: oh yeah yeah, you feel it the first day of the when you go out fishing for the year. That's for sure. But then you you build up your uh, fatigue and everything, and that's where you know even the long rods they really help cast that stuff and keep it easier on you. There's techniques um, we use called long line casting. So whenever, generally, when somebody casts, they almost have that lure up to their rod tip. Well, whenever we cast with these heavy lures, we actually drop probably like six feet of line down. And so, but then you do it slow. You bring it back. You don't whip it back. You, you slowly bring it back, and then you, like, I guess like a pendulum-type deal or a catapult where you start loading up the rod and let that extra that bit of line takes it out of your shoulder and helps you catapult that lure out there. Wow. And that's where the big rods are really helping save you. And that's the difference between, like, the six-foot rods back in the day now, the 10-foot rods today, it makes it a lot easier to cast lures like that. But don't get me wrong. I mean, there's still some people who are like, you're crazy for throwing a pounder. And it's like, yeah, but the fish are eating it. <laughs> so yeah, what do right? you do? Yeah. You know, It's like walking six miles back and be like, oh, don't go hunt there. It's like, well, I just saw two shooter bucks. You know, what, what do you do? You do yeah. what is going to give you success.
0: Yeah, it's funny how uh, animals, like Mother Nature in general, you'll see similarities between, you know, just any any type of life, right? Obviously, you've brought uh, you've brought a similarity to how muskies and whitetails, there's similarities there. And I'm sure if we look hard enough in, uh, you know, in this wild world we live in, there's similarities between a lot of animals because really through evolution, they all came from the same place right and so Mm
1: -hmm. they
0: you know whether they their breeding cycle is based off of the amount of sun uh in the sky or or during a day or water temperature because water temperature dictates spawning for fish right for most of the
1: uh and there's arguments about that now with the photo period thing yeah so it's the same thing as rut you know you want that weather to line up with that moon yeah but you know so you're gonna say you have an unusual warm spring it's there are fish that just are water temperature i'm going in then there's fish like i'm waiting till this time of year these daylight hours to go in yeah so it's yeah so you got both
0: yeah well that's crazy man i, I love i love the this conversation because um it's something different, and uh, I've never had I've never had anybody on this podcast to talk about the comparison between a fish and a whitetail. So, uh, thanks for bringing it to, to my attention, man. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh yeah, no, that's uh, I mean we've just scratched the surface with yeah. it a little bit, but that's just with uh, it. It really is bizarre, and that's with uh, so. Do you believe? Just question for you: Do you believe moon has any effect on whitetail movement?
0: No, well, let me no. let me let me think about this a second. How do I answer this? I don't make any decisions based off moon phase. Do okay. I think that moon phase could play a role in it? Sure, it could, but scientific research says otherwise. You know what I mean? So right, uh, no. right, hundred
1: percent. Right. Yeah. I'm not so that guy who's I'm taken
0: off to, of right. uh, of work and saying well it's uh it's uh you know a, a hunter's moon this weekend i'm taking you know i'm taking the day off or whatever I, i'm not going to do that
1: okay no and i i agree with you but this is where with putting odds in your favor and this is just yeah. some of the little things i've seen as far as deer hunting and musky fishing because musky fishing some people live or die by the moon and i mean there's full moon and then new moon which those are the two peak moon periods but well, i'm even then, you boil it down to when is that moon directly overhead or underfoot on the given day. So, um, with musky fishing, it does like I hundred percent believe it affects them. As far as you, we have caught so many fish, and let okay, even boil this down. The biggest fish you're going to have your best chances on moon for whatever reason. I don't know, I, um, just a moon period. So like it can be full moon or new moon, but so like every day you have a moon or three or four moon periods. So you have uh, so moon rise or moon set, and then moon overhead or moon underfoot. Yeah. So in those days or at those peak windows, it is stupid how many of our fish come either right before them, right in the middle, or right after. And then two, you can have it where moon is. It's like. There's a bite window going on two hours before moon. So the way we take it is that when we're out fishing, say we're going to go take a break and it's moon coming up. We will grudge on for three more hours or whatever to fish before and after that moon period, hoping to put the odds a little bit more in our favor. So with hunting this year, uh, this was one of the things uh, in my stand is my buddy Brad. He's like, hey, pay attention to the moon periods. Uh, He's a hunter and he fully believes that as far as the day-to-day moon so um he's so say moon rises at 9 or 10 a.m um so you're sitting in the morning and then say nine thirty, it's like all right i'm i'm ready to be done but so if you look at your phone it's like well if this movement moon period does play an effect maybe i should stay out here another hour yeah and you might not see, not it's not the golden ticket but it could be one of those things where you're putting odds in your favor and one of the weirdest things I saw this year was, I think it was an hour after moon, every sit, I saw deer movement to like almost the minute. And that's where paying. Now, I don't know if that was moon, but staying there for moon helped me realize um, that the deer were moving at that point in time. And it's just, to me, it's like, why are they up and moving type deal? And then, uh, even going down the rabbit hole, even farther, it's like, my buddy's like, Hey, check your phone. And whenever you're getting a bunch of text messages, it's usually moon period. So, and he's like, I think it affects humans too. Yeah, it's just, it's like, but you can go down these rabbit holes. Right. Right. But that's where the thing now, the full moon and new moon are like, people will plan their trips up to Minnesota for those. Yeah. And, uh, I guess the best experience I had ended in heartbreak, but I lost the biggest fish I know I had hooked yet this past october and uh, we were fishing a group of weed beds and this is so and pressured muskies act like big bucks and they will only tolerate so much so if you find them and they follow in there's a good chance that muskie's going to just swim out to deep water same thing if you have an encounter with a buck and he smells you there's a good chance he's not going to come back or daylight himself again so we were fishing this fish and I moved, and she was, I would guess, in the 53-inch range. Um, we were fishing her, I raised her, and then she just went underneath the boat. And we, in that weed bed, we couldn't find her again the next two days. Well, we went and fish another one. And it could have been a different fish, but it was the same build, same type of length and everything came in on my brother's bucktail, just followed in kind of slow. So we were fishing all day, waiting for the peak moon period that night, which was right after sunset. And um so we go back to that weed bed and uh right to the minute on top of the moon was I believe at like seven twenty five, I got her to eat my bucktail. Well, after I lost her the clock was seven twenty six. So when you have experiences like that it makes you scratch your head a little bit. Yeah. So it's just um and yeah. So yeah. that's where I'll stop going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But and I'll say that, that is something go ahead.
0: I'll say this about moon, man. Every time I think moon's a joke I'll have a sit and it's probably just by circumstance that the moon is setting it's uh, or I'll see I'll see great deer movement in mm-hmm. in a a setting a setting moon right or or a rising moon or a moon overhead or what, whatever whatever this scenario is I'll just happen to be in the tree stand at that time and guess what I will I'll see it I'll, I'll see that movement and I'll go maybe it does maybe it does and then I'll go somewhere else and then I'll ha- have an experience where the moon is just just a beautiful night and I, I get skunked right I don't see any deer could be a one of a right. thousand things but yeah man that that moon phase a lot of people a lot a lot of people live and die by it but I guess I'm not that guy
1: right and that's i don't it doesn't make me go I'm hunting today or yeah. not hunting or fishing or not fishing. But when you're after such, so with me, I'm just, I'm with the deer I hunt and it's my stepdad's property. So I kind of go by his rules and he doesn't have anything bad, but he just wants an ear with or bigger buck shot. And so when you're playing with these smarter animals, it's like, what if I can put something to make the odds in my favor a little bit more, I'm going to try, you know? So it's like, I won't leave the stand or leave the lake if moon's about to come up. Now, I won't be like, "Oh my gosh, I need to leave work to get out there for moon." But if I can be out there, I'm going to be out there. Yeah. If that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. For sure, man. It it does. You might as well, right? If you're mm-hmm. if you're out there and you think a good uh, a good period of time is coming and hey, maybe I'll stay a little longer because it why not, right? And if and if if that strategy is leading to confidence, right, and you start to catch more fish, well, then hell, why not? Why not do it more often?
1: Right, and I believe there is some self fulfilling prophecies to that. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> yeah. like we were talking yeah. earlier, if your confidence is low, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna usually struggle, right? So that's where. But you know, there's also those times where he, the last guy you had on your podcast, he was having a heck of a year, and he was, I'm sure he was you know down in the dumps about things but yep. um long behold he gets that monster buck and it's like the same thing can happen in muskie fishing you can either go days without catching one or even seeing one or losing two or three of them and then all of a sudden for whatever reason you get rewarded yeah and so it's just but what's that's where i reached out to you it's like man all these hunters i know I mentioned this to you, it's like they have to be going stir crazy, yeah. you know, in the summertime. You can't, I mean, you can kind of scout, but I mean, the thing is, you're not really, the movement in July is not going to be the movement in October. Right. So it's, uh, you know, it's like, man, everybody I know that's real serious about musky fishing at least hunted at one point in their life. And it's funny enough, they're mostly bow hunters. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if somebody's out there looking for something to do this is something that is very similar as far as you're not going to master it's going to keep your head thinking weather plays into a role food plays into you know it all there's so many similarities it's kind of weird now that, that could be with other species of fish too but i mean muskie's what i live and die for yeah and it's just um the more i dive deep into it it's like man it's just kind of crazy how these things kind of relate
0: yeah yeah, man, absolutely. What's it like? Let me ask you one, a couple more questions here. What is it like going on a stretch where you're not catching shit? And you know how I, I, I'm guessing this is what it's like for you. You've been in a boat for, let's just say, six hours, seven hours, and you're just casting, and you're casting, and you're casting, and you're casting. And, you're casting, and it's almost like hunting. When you, you know, you tear, tear down your set, you go set it up somewhere else and you're tired and you're exhausted and, and you're not even paying attention. You're like in this, you're zoned out and then something just crushes your lure. Like, what's that like?
1: Um, uh, the adrenaline rush, like no other. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's, uh, and, and six hours can be, that's a short window. Yeah. Like I'm,
0: Days. There's been
1: We've been up there for a week-long stretch and night. We raised one fish and didn't catch anything. I mean, that's where – I mean, you have to have the enjoyment of being in the outdoors. I yeah. guess that's what keeps you going. I love to be on the water. I mean, there is nothing better than a sunset or sunrise, in my mind, than a lake sunset or sunrise. And then if you can get a muskie uh, in the boat during that time get a nice picture with it, that is like the cherry on top. But yeah. it's the same thing with that hunter that's grinding. Well, you know, something brought him to the woods in the first place rather than just hunting. Usually there's a love for the outdoors yeah. and then they get into it. Yeah. So it's just that love of being in nature, I guess, is uh, kind of the thing and just unplugging. Like when I'm fishing, my parents and everybody I know know, he's not answering his phone. I mean, unless it's an emergency or whatever, I yeah. usually, my phone goes at the love box of the boat and it's my time. I mean, that's, it's unplugging from society, unplugging from everything. And that's where, I mean, I do the same thing with hunting. It's like, you know, you, you, you're just out there to enjoy nature. Yeah. That's a fact, man. That is a fact.
0: Well, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to to hop on and chat with us today and and bring up these similarities between these two creatures. Um, Thank you very much for your time and man, good luck once that ice gets off the water.
1: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. It uh, was uh, great talking to you. And uh, yeah, if you ever have any questions and you decide to go out, I can help point you in the right direction, or at least try to. So, and I know you have got some musky water there in Iowa too. So um, it's not too far from you.
0: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout-out to Jake. Huge shout-out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. Um, Please, go support the Sportsman's Nation. Take a look at all of the products or all of the podcasts that are coming out. If If you're a guy who just listens to a ton of podcasts, go check out the network feed whitetail hunting feed and I have it labeled as whitetail hunting but it is there is a ton of content you know coyote hunting uh, coon dog hunting uh, you know even a little fishing and things like that that come through as well and I really think you guys are going to enjoy the content every episode of every podcast that's on the network keeps getting better and better and better and that's the goal here is to just put out a ton of content that is year long and relatable all year long and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it good vibes man i'm in a great mood today like i said good vibes in good vibes out Hit one of your buddies up say hey man you want to grab a beer want to grab some coffee talk to your parents give your kids hugs tell your wife you love them and uh man i don't know what else to say we'll talk to you next time